If you are not 18 years or older, go away. This is not for you. Oh, hello. I didn't see you there. Well, since you're here, I might as well tell you. Uh, yeah, I'm doing another round of interviews. So if you or someone you know would uh, make a good guest, feel free to email me, massacast at gmail.com. In fact, a few weeks ago on Twitter, I put up the call for people to interview, and someone replied, and here's that conversation. So uh, we, were, we were talking before we started recording here about height. Um, uh, you're, you're, you're a tall person. You don't have to say how tall, but you're a tall person. I'm a, t- a tall person. I'm 6'2". I'm not as tall as you, but um, we were talking about how uh, if you're a submissive and you're tall, um, uh, it, uh, it does shape things a little bit for you because you're sort of forced into positions of authority just by nature of being tall. Um, it, it sounds like you ha- you've experienced that from a very early age. Um, did you also know that it wasn't how you felt comfortable at an early age or was that something that came later? It's, it's such a, a long memory. I mean, I was the tallest uh, kid in every single class I was in. Um, and right from the get-go in Christmas pageants and different things in the school, you know, I was always put in those positions of authority, the king on the throne overseeing the Christmas pageant or the uh, let's get the tall guy to carry the paper mache boar's head on the fake uh, aluminum foil platter around and put in those positions uh, and the sort of cultural expectations that come with being larger than average in, um, you know, in different ways, uh, in good ways. Um, and not only the expectations that people in society place on you when you're like that, um, but the fact that pretty much every day of your life when you're out in public, you're interacting with total strangers. I mean, people are asking you questions about, you know, your physical nature and are you involved in this sport or that sport? And, you know, mm-hmm. what what is, you know, what are the parameters of your physicality and things like that? So for me, I was a super, super shy kid. I mean, I was scared of the dark. I was scared of every bump of the night. I, I was probably a classic kind of mama's boy. I wasn't a wasn't a bold kid. I think I probably had a pretty vivid imagination and stuff. And I was sure every noise I heard was, you know, some monster coming to take me away. And right. Yet on the other side of me is this public persona that was developed at a super young age living up to the expectations of people, society, and culture um, that just shaped me into what I am today. Most people would think I'm a crazy introvert. Um, I think I'm fairly skilled at talking with people, and uh, I think I have fairly rational, intelligent approaches to conversations and dialogue, and that's all a skill that I've learned. I think if I had had a different physicality, um, been a different size, I think I'd be that real quiet, shy guy, introverted guy off in the corner. And I always thought introverted meant just that. You were that shy shy person in the corner that couldn't, uh, wasn't skilled at communicating with people. And I've learned that 
it's what it is, is you can be introverted and highly skilled at dealing with people. You just find it exhausting. And I guess that's, that's uh, sort of me. How did you discover that uh, you were king? Cause you, you have a fairly interesting, you, you, you reached out to me on, on Twitter when I was, I posted the question of like, Hey, if anyone wants to jump on uh, and you, it sounds like you have a fairly interesting story before we get to that, I'm just curious how you discovered you were kinky or submissive. So, uh, growing up, um, when I did, which is before you did, you know, a number of years ago, we did, I didn't even identify it as kink or BDSM. It was just good, fun, loving adult adventure play, you know, mm-hmm. in, in the bedroom, you know, it was just like, Yahoo, let's do this. Let's do this. Hey, want to try this? You know, there was none of this like, oh, I'm kinky or I'm into BDSM. I've never been involved in uh, the lifestyle or gone to any events or any munches or anything like that. It's always really just been in my private life. And it was all just really natural. It was a, it was a adventurous time. I mean, it even predated uh, the door slamming shut first with herpes and then totally slamming shut with AIDS. And mm-hmm. it was just a really freewheeling, fun life that we weren't really trying to label we were just kids going having fun doing hey i'll tie you up and i'll do this and oh we got a pair of handcuffs and do that and just just trying different different things and it wasn't identified really as kink but but at some point you you uh did you realize you preferred one side of that to the other um yeah it you know it was an evolution because uh, as you might imagine, I initially, because of, you know, sort of cultural and societal norms and expectations and this sort of patriarchal society that this country still is immersed in, um, those were the expectations placed on me. Um, I grew up in an environment where, you know, a town with a lot of transient people there for recreation and whatnot, um, and I held different positions uh, where I was that authority figure or the, uh, uh, you know, the coach, the instructor, the teacher, what have you. And I just fell into that. Well, I'm the guy I'm supposed to be in charge. You know, uh, we don't really talk about it. You know, we go do what we want to do and, um, I'm in charge. And then because of my physicality, um, and again, culture, I kind of attracted uh, either vanilla or submissive leaning vanilla women, you know, kind of in hordes. It was a different time. You know, it was kind of a freewheeling time back then. And those were the women that, oh, hey, there's a big physical guy. And, oh, look, he's in charge. So, yeah, I mean, I literally went home with women for one night stands that walked into their bedroom and they handed me a belt and asked me to tie them up you know um so um i ended up actually meeting my wife about 36 years ago um i'm sure i'll get crucified because i'll get the the time frame wrong but i think it's about 36 years ago it was in a roommate situation in a house uh roommates with two bedrooms in a couple weeks turned into real roommates with one bedroom and we've been together for 36 years now 
Um, Congratulations. It's a long time. And that just was a typical, normal um, vanilla, well, I, you know, vanilla relationship as far as any DS dynamic, um, but fairly darn adventuresome as far as what a lot of people would consider kink, although I didn't really label it as such. Right. And so, so where was it the, uh, just over time discovering the internet or, or, uh, or like what, what was it that, that it, made you it, look, it, it, look, look into that? Right. What well, I think for me, the evolution was that, you know, initially it was more kind of, you know, I'm dominant, she's submissive and stuff. And then, you know, occasionally, you know, there'd be some sort of switch involved where, oh, I got tied up tonight and I realized how much I like that. Okay. I don't have any real specific fetishes like foot fetishes or something like that. Um, I think I would probably, I'm jumping ahead now, I'd identify as a service submissive. Okay. Um, so we sort of start switching a little bit more. And then I realized that I was really into being, you know, the bottom. Uh, I really like that. And in an effort to experience more of that, man, I could write a book on, uh, topping from the bottom, you know, because, uh, my wife, who's my best friend and, an absolutely wonderful person uh, just doesn't have uh, any availability to a dominant streak that she may have. I mean, we're both probably a little bit on the service submissive side. So it's this. So the only way I could kind of get what I wanted was really topping from the bottom. And I did that a, a fair amount for quite some time, but no surprise, it ultimately became very um, unsatisfying. Um, the really for, for you, for her, for both. Um, I think uh, probably some of the kink, although uh, she never voiced these concerns. I think probably she was uncomfortable with it. It's not really sure that because it's you know it's a big dynamic switch. You know the guy he's supposed to be in charge. You know well now what am I supposed to do? You know and she was a little lost and. Uh, we weren't good at communicating. I wasn't good at communicating. Um, there was never any negotiation or sort of pre-scene talk. It was all just very organic and kind of flowed. Um, but uh, it, it really became unsatisfying for me. So I started looking at sort of how I felt in a broader sense getting, you know, kind of reflective. Hopefully it wasn't a serious existential crisis, but being more reflective as I got older and stuff. And now this is crazy because it's going to come full circle. I was listening to your podcast when I discovered it many, many, many years after you first started. And so I was so glad the whole library was there. And it was just a, a, a great, great thing for me to listen to um, all the guests you had and, and listen to their insight. And that led me down this rabbit hole of uh, reading PhD dissertation papers on BDSM and dominance and submission and just disappeared down that rabbit hole. And I needed someone to talk to about it. Mm -hmm. And I was listening to one of your guests and I'm like, I wonder if that person would talk to me. So out of the blue, 
um, because they have, uh, you know, some internet, an internet presence. Out of the blue, I contacted this person and said, hey, you know, I, I have some questions on this whole submissive thing. And could you talk? And they're like, nah, it's not really something I do. Um, I might consider it. Um, and they threw out a, you know, a figure that's like, okay, I'll, I'll talk to you for an hour for this much money. Right. And uh, I think they expected, you know, nothing but crickets. <laughs> he instantly goes, oh, sure. That's no problem. You know, it's, right. it's worth, worth, worth it to me to have you as a sounding board. Um, the logistics of getting this call through around both our schedules is pretty, uh, pretty impressive. But it was awesome for me because the time that it took for us to orchestrate the call really, really helped me think about what I want to talk about to this total stranger, that it helped me understand myself much, much more. So honestly, by the time I got to talk to that person, it was it was like a totally different thing than if we had connected um right after our, 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 my first email to them. And right. it was through that kind of introspection of I'm kind of a brain science and psychology junkie, even though I'm not an academic or educated uh, in it at all. And I'm very metacognitive. I'm very introspective, uh, probably mildly neurotic because I just like to ruminate on things and really try and, uh, I'm not, I don't care about what I think, and I don't really so much care about what others think. I'm fascinated in why I think what I think and why others think what they think. What's the process? Right. What's life been? What's culture? What's society? What's their minister? What's their parents? What's their friends? What were their teachers mm -hmm. like? Why, why do you think, you know, why do you think the earth is flat? Okay. I know you right. think the earth is flat. Why do you think it is? Like, Where's yeah. that coming from? So it really got me in a super good place at understanding myself, came to realize that um, probably service submissive is is uh, how I would identify if I want to identify in that world. So uh, you were talking about um, you know, topping from the bottom, and I, I know people who have done that because they have a vanilla partner one way or the other. And, and sometimes it can be, you know, the partner's like, sure, whatever. I'm, you know, that's just fine. You know, you know, for them, it's like, yeah, okay, this is what you enjoy. So that's, that's fine. And other times it's definitely more of a, um, trying to think of the right word. I don't want to say like coercive, cause that's not the right word, but sort of like, you know, it's sort of a, um, uh, strongly encouraging the person in such a way that they might not be comfortable with. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and or or and even and they might do it, um, but it, they're not really enjoying it. They're not even enjoying it in a uh, "I'm doing this for my partner" type of way, right? Um, yeah. Did you find that it was leaning more one way, and that's why you wanted, wanted to explore it further, uh, or or how did that come about? Yeah, I mean, if 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 you realize if you identify as a service sub. And you're, you realize that you're topping from the bottom and your goal as a service hub is to do something for somebody else. <laughs> it's like, right. whoa, major disconnect there. I'm doing yeah. this for me. I want you to, to like doing it and enjoy it. I don't want you just doing it for me. I mean, that's like no, the yeah. essence of, of topping from the bottom. Yeah, this is, this is why it was always difficult. And I have 
plenty of pro dom friends who would dis who disagreed with me, and I totally understand why they disagree with me. But this is what, other than the financial aspects, this is why I could never go to a pro because I would always have that thing in the back of my brain that was like, um, you know, uh, they they you know, do they really? Is this what they really want? You know, because uh, you know, I'm I'm obviously paying for the experience. Like, what if they what they really want is for me to pay them and go away right <laughs> because yeah. because that's what they really want and you know because i have that aspect of service as well and so that was something that was always i mean i i, I never had the opportunity I, I it was an easy problem to to ignore because i never could afford to go anyway but that was still something that haunted me you know of of like oh my god what if what if uh because part of it for me also is is being desired to do it right um uh, so there is an aspect of self, you know, being selfish in wanting to be wanted type of thing. Right. Um, so, but no, I totally understand it. That's why, you know, the topping from the bottom thing is very difficult. Uh, it, it, I mean, it took me a long time to even be able to ask, and I still have trouble with it asking for what I want because it's like, well, what I want depends on what you want, you know? Um, uh, so, so how did the conversation go with your wife about, wanting to explore this did did your wife know that you had a, a conversation with this person um gosh i don't I, you know it's, it wasn't that long ago i don't i don't think she did i i, I actually i know she didn't at the uh, at the time that i spoke with the person she didn't uh, but just jumping back briefly you know, I, I've heard you. I've heard you talk about what you just mentioned in podcasts before, and I remember hearing Saad jump down your throat saying, "Oh, I hate it when people say that." The whole "give yeah. you ten thousand dollars and leave you alone," um, and for me, um, all right. Well, we got to. Uh, it finally got to the point where. You know, you go on FetLife and you go on Reddit and you, you look for advice and you're trying to figure it out like so many guys are. There's so many guys that go on to some of those discussion groups and, you know, they're approaching it all wrong by and large. It's like, well, what are you going to do for me? Hey, can I come over and please clean your house and will you make me do it naked and then right. you know, spank right. me when it's done? You know they're cleaning the house for their kink, not because their service, and just want to. I'm, I'm happy to clean your house. I like to do things for people. I I don't need any quid pro quo. Um, and anytime they're in a relationship, all you hear is, "Oh, you got to talk. You got to talk to your wife. You got to talk to your girlfriend. You got to talk to your wife." And boy, some of the responses. I mean, it it's. You know, I, I guess maybe the regulars get sick of it, but some of the some of the venom that people throw out and uh, the names they call people, oh, you're you know, you're a terrible husband, you're lying to your wife, you got into the relationship as a liar, it's your own fault, and it's like, oh my gosh, just like back off. I don't know what your bag well, is, but I don't need it right now, and. Right. Uh, the universal vice I got from everybody, and I knew this deep inside because um, more than anything else, I try to, um, you know, be, be an honest, decent person. And ultimately, I knew I had to talk to my wife, but it's, it's this real catch-22. You're damned if you don't. Because then you're going behind your wife's back or girlfriend's back and cheating and doing something if you're going to see, you know, someone else or a professional dominatrix. And 
if you do tell them you're damned because now you're doing, especially as a service submissive, the last thing you want to do in the world is hurt the one you love. And you know this conversation is going to be difficult and hurtful to them. Um, So with me, it finally just got to the point where I was so exhausted in trying to think about having the talk that I just didn't care anymore. I was just, you know, it's just like you get to the finish line and you just fall down. You know, you can't go any further. And that that's how it was with the conversation with my wife. I just, I can't deal with this anymore. I'm just going to come out and I said, look, um, because at that point we had talked together and separately with a, uh, with a therapist and uh, I had literally come out at the time and talked about my submissive nature and stuff. And I said, like, how could you not really know, given the amount of, you know, topping I've done from the bottom for a number of years, it would seem pretty clear that I, I like that more submissive role. Um, that therapist didn't really work out for us. We we're kind of going nowhere. And living in the rural location that I do, I found that there was a dungeon um you know, for me, a reasonable drive, like less than five hours away. And I just came out one time and said, hey, you know, um, I'd really like to go to this dungeon to kind of explore this whole thing um, because it's it's kind of challenging for me. And to her credit, she sat there and listened to me thoughtfully. Uh, she didn't throw a frying pan at me or some other cliche like that. She listened to me like the super wife and friend and partner she is and very thoughtfully and said, well, let's, uh, you know, we'll go forward and talk about this. Well, of course, the next morning after she lay awake all night, <laughs> trying to try to uh, intellectualize and process everything I, you know, sort of dumped on her. Uh, she wasn't in quite the same mood the next morning. But we kind of went up and down and back and forth. And then with her encouragement, um, I went and saw my first pro dom. So I, I just want to back up just a little bit. Uh, and that is um, because when you had that that conversation with her, because you, you said you were like you were just exasperated, you were just tired of debating the conversation that when you finally did for you this is a conversation that you've had with yourself for a long time where it's totally new for her right so or or you should say in theory it was totally new for her maybe there's part of her that kind of suspected something or whatever but so you're coming at it from a look look i've had this conversation a billion times in my head whereas this is completely new for you um that must have been that must have been tricky for her, right? I mean, uh, you know, well, for both of you, obviously, but it must have been tricky for her as well because she, had, you know, they just probably came out of the blue for her, right? Yeah, un- un- unimaginable, and that's why the conversation is so difficult to have when you're so- kind of coming from, you know, square one. You know, uh, we we uh, we never had great communication. I'll just say in the bedroom, it was, you know, it was just typical old school, like I'm kind of more or less in charge and stuff happens organically. And, you know, now I'd like you to be in charge and I'm kind of directing it and stuff, but we, we never did have great communication about our intimate life. And so of course, you know, and that's the, the big shocker that, you know, um, 
I think a lot of guys are kind of dumping on their um, their wives or their girlfriends. I like to think um, that maybe I did it a little more thoughtfully. I tried to explain it that it wasn't sexual. It wasn't about her doing stuff to me. It was the fact that I wanted to do stuff for her. And I even said, look, if you the next time that there's something that you would like me to do, just don't say please or thank you. You know, just that just that little thing. I'll just use cliches. Rub my back. Rub my feet. Do the dishes. Mow the lawn. Rather than could you please, would you thank you, something like that. I said just that a little change in wording. I'm not looking for some huge DS lifestyle change here. Change and no, you aren't supposed to go out and buy thigh high leather boots and a and a big <laughs> single tail and stuff um, because that's not what this is about. This is for me. I think I had evolved and understood myself well enough. It's what I wanted to do for her. But then the crazy dynamic through all this, I lost um, I lost any interest in being submissive to her. I am not someone that is submissive to all women. I am certainly not the stereotypical, you know, doormat submissive that thinks that, oh, you know, just do anything to me, walk on me, spit on me. I'm a useless worm kind of mentality. Right. Whether that exists outside right. of porn or not, I don't know. Um, yeah. But I am not. I could, I, if I think about it in my life, because I grew up in an area it was more traditional back in those days, uh, stereotypical, patriarchal um, sort of family structure. But I grew up in an area with really strong women, Olympic athletes, uh, business owners, people that it, it wasn't just stay at home mom land. OK, um, uh, my mother had been a very, very adventuresome woman until she fell into the role of raising the family and stuff. Um, but I have always been super comfortable around strong, intelligent, um, witty, powerful women. And I don't know where I got this quote, but I love it. It's uh, and I'll paraphrase for me, I can only find submission to someone that holds the space in such a way they just seem like a really logical person for me to follow. And I probably only felt that in hindsight with maybe four or five women in my entire life. I, I try to be a polite, decent guy. Um, and that's just my nature is to try and be helpful and tip well and be nice to other people and stuff. But I just don't see some woman on the street or the Internet or, you know, the food store and go, oh, man, I'd like it if, you know, I could, you know, come over and clean her bathroom. And, you know, who knows where things could go if she was interested. It's a, it's a small, very small handful. And I don't think. I realized that my wife is one of those people. We have a super relationship, so much better than I think so many people do. I've just kind of described it as like we've built this bridge that's across a thousand foot river and we have this unbelievable bridge, but it's 900 feet long. Okay. And it just stops short of that sort of DS dynamic. 
that I would really like and really speaks to me, but I would never burn the rest of that bridge because it's so much better than I think than I deserve or I'm entitled to. So was that, um, uh, was that hard for her or was it like, well, I'm not really into this anyway, so that's perfectly fine. Or how, how was, how did she handle that? Um, up and down, you know, kind of like the stock yeah. market, <laughs> up and down and plateaus sure. and setbacks and things like that. It opened up our communication to this day that's still at a level that it, it was never before and it never would have been before unless we, had, I think, had sort of opened this a uh, little bit of a can of worms and stuff. And like, I can't speak for her. I can only just imagine it's every emotion you could think of. You know, it's sadness. She feels hurt. You know, is he insecure? Does he want, you know, another woman? Is he going to leave me? You know, why can't I do this? And I, you know, I tried to explain it that, you know, if you think about, you know, marriage and congratulations on yours. Um, but if you think about marriage, most monogamous marriages, you're dumping on your partner that you're going to be everything I need for the rest of my life. And that's, that's, that's a, that's a dangerous bargain to make because people change, people evolve, you know, different things happen. But when you're in that we're soulmates, we're in this together. And all of a sudden the other soulmate goes, Oh yeah, I want to go see a Dom. You know, I can only imagine what ran through her mind, just the entire gamut of emotions from anger to probably profound sadness. Sure. I I think also it, it, it just as a quick side note, um, I think it also speaks to how important it is to find the right therapist when you're doing either solo or couples therapy, right? Because um, uh, I, I know as someone who's gone to therapy before uh, and is currently going to therapy, having someone that at least uh, understands kink, uh, not just accepts it, right? Because it's a different story between accepting it to, to, to understands it because having someone who you don't have to sit there and, and spend like half the therapy session explaining what X, Y, and Z is, you, yeah. you know, yeah. is a huge, it's a huge, huge thing. Um, and, and so, you know, this is why like talking to, interviewing therapists is is you know it took me a long time to find one even in new york i mean it took a long time to just to find someone who i didn't have to sit and spend you know most of the time just explaining what different terms were you know yeah um so but yeah that definitely that definitely explained were you able to find someone else uh for couples therapy or did you yeah. did you like, like yeah totally, that's totally totally spectacular woman oh my gosh so after I bailed on the first therapist because I felt she was like looking down at therapy 101, you know, during a Zoom call, you know, um, yeah. and it just wasn't really working for me. I, uh, my wife talked to her a couple times more, but I really just needed, you know, you kind of need to talk to somebody. Um, I have male friends. Um, but I don't have a lot of friends. Um, and even the male friends I have aren't particularly close. Um, I mean, they're, you know, they're guys, Hey, I need some help with my tractor or something like that. They're like, Oh yeah. You know, or we'll get together, come down for a barbecue in the summer. But I can honestly say in the past 25 years or so, I have gone out for a drink 
with a guy as in going out with the boys twice in 25 years. Since right. my early 20s, I've always gotten along with women much, much better than men. I just like their more thoughtful, introspective nature, at least so the, the women I've been lucky enough to hang around with. Um, and I've just, I just get along with women much better than men. But what am I going to do? Call, call some woman who I've been friends with for 25 years and say, oh, yeah, I was talking about seeing a dominatrix with my wife the other night. You know, it's just it's not the conversation <laughs> you're going to even have with your male friends, probably even worse with your male friends. Oh, yeah. I started searching for a kink uh, friendly therapist. I found someone out of state with uh, 15 years of experience specializing in kink friendly therapy. Um, at that point, we're sort of near the end of the pandemic. Everybody's burnt. Everyone wants to talk to somebody. And I mean, I, I contacted a couple before that that on their website said, guaranteed, we get back to you in 48 hours. So it's literally like four days later, I drop them another email and they're like, oh, well, yeah, um, when uh, I'm really booked and I'm not taking people and stuff. Yeah. So I, I contacted this kink friendly therapist. She called me the next day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Knocked me over with a feather. She literally called me the next day. We talked for I don't know, half an hour, probably, you know, off the off the clock and stuff. And then started this really, really cool relationship, because for me, it just gave me someone to talk to. That's that's really great to hear. Um, and I, I totally identify with what you mean by uh, by having more female, close female friends than male. Mm -hmm. And it, it's it was sort of, uh, you know, I have friends who have, you know, male friends who I've known for many, many years, and we're very close, we're very much like brothers, but just like my brother doesn't know anything about my personal life, you know, my kink life, right. or anything like that. Right. Uh, it's the same thing. Uh, however, there is something very beneficial to having, in my case, you know, some of my closest friends are former pro-doms, just like my, my life is, you know, and so uh, that, that's definitely helpful, right? It's definitely helpful in, in, in that case. So, um, or in some of them are current. So I, I'm the same way. I've always been closer with uh, female friends. And when, when I first, um, you know, moved to New York, um, I was like, I really, you know, I wish I, I wish I'd had a submissive guy friend that I could talk to. Because even though I could make, you know, female friends very easily, uh, I have making male friends, at least submissive uh, male friends, I found it very, very difficult. Because whenever we would meet in that context, um, you know, we'd meet in the kink scene or whatever, um, and we'd, we'd hang out outside of like an event or something like that. Um, they would just want to talk about whatever their specific fetish was. <laughs> and, um, and like, I don't want to talk about feet for an hour over beers or something like that, you know? Uh, and it was very much just like, like there was no, you couldn't have a conversation about, you know, politics or what movie they like or something like yeah. that, you know? Yeah. Um, but I do have this one friend in particular who is a submissive guy and I honestly could not tell you what his kinks are. We're very good friends. He was one of my groomsmen. He was, he, he's a, he's a great guy. I could not tell you what his, <laughs> what his kinks are. So it's, it, you know, it, it's, uh, that, that's like the one exception and I don't know why that is, but, um, okay. So you, you, you talk to your wife about going to a pro that's five hours away uh, what was that process like, or how did you, uh, you know, how, how did, how did you convince her? How did, how did that, how did that work out? 
I didn't have to convince her at all. She was like, yeah, you know, I, I, I think it's a good idea. It's something that you go explore, you want to do it and stuff. Like I said, she's unbelievable, unbelievable woman. I mean, most can, you know, imagine, and guys are right to be terrified to have this conversation because <laughs> like, I would think the vast majority of the time it would go very, very, very badly for them. You know, I think it's one in a million that someone has like I do, and maybe one in a trillion where the wife goes, well, it's about time, you know, go clean the bathroom, mm-hmm. you know? Right. So she was very, w- was there a discussion about limits or, or boundaries or anything like that? Or? Um, no, because I was going to see a pro and obviously there's, there's no, uh, you know, there's no sex involved. And, uh, she, uh, I showed her the website and she's looking, <laughs> it's really funny at one point she goes, what are the knives for? Because she had seen in a photo, <laughs> a lineup of knives on the table and, I've had a, a fairly uh, rough and tumble, as you know, from being in, you know, growing up on a farm. I mean, stitches are a pretty common occurrence, you know. Um, mm-hmm. It's not some huge trauma when you got to run in and get five or six stitches. And the joke was that, you know, I, I think you could probably cut me to the point where I would need stitches and I'm just going to go, oh, well, you know, and I wasn't <laughs> going to be scared with uh, with any sort of knife play or anything. But she looked, sure. she looked at the website and whatnot. And um, I went back and forth as to whether I wanted to go there and finally decided that I would and booked. And it just, you know, when I had listened to not only your podcast, down that rabbit hole, listening to every podcast with the dominatrix I could find and trying to understand DNS and stuff. So I went with all these uh, great high hopes. The, uh, the dungeon has a website. It's very well done. They talk about their, you know, beautiful setting and skilled dominatrixes and this and that and the other thing. And so I kind of arrived with a certain set of expectations. Okay, nice place. Well done. Uh, We'll talk about the session. We'll talk about, you know, hard limits. We'll probably come up with safe words and then we'll be off. And (laughs) I mean, you could do a whole podcast on the sideshow. That was my first experience at this dungeon. It's just... Like just find an old rundown, old kind of rundown, ill-kept building. And that's sort of what I drove into. (laughs) Um, The dungeon master was there and he didn't, uh, it's just kind of an interesting personality and total terrible communication between him and the dominatrix uh, with the, given the distance of the drive, Uh, the first session, this was going to be the first woman that had ever touched me. outside of just friendship since I'd been married, I've been ridiculously monogamous and had never kissed another woman in passion uh, since I'd been married. So we go in there, I get escorted into the dungeon and uh, she's literally looking, she goes, okay, let's go. And I'm like, do you even know what I'm here for? And she's like literally looking at her phone, trying to find the information that the uh, the master had apparently sent her and then mm. said, pick three items you'd like to start with. I pick one and she goes, let's go. And my requested three hour session was definitely kink dispenser, run him through the different things randomly. And it was over in an hour. And then right. faced with that epic drive back. <laughs> right. Whoa. Right. That wasn't, 
you know, you build up as you would imagine, you know, maybe you have sure. you build up for years and that turns out to be your first uh, experience. And it's to the point where I wouldn't even leave. I feel apprehensive enough about that, that I would not even leave a negative review because I'm not sure that that place wouldn't have hidden cameras and taping and, and docs. Right. I mean, that's, that's right. how poor I think my experience was there. Yeah. I mean, that it's not, you know, it's not unusual, right? I mean, this is why, um, you know, I have plenty of friends who have stories about when, you know, you can tell when it's a um, woman run, I guess you could say, yeah, or when it's, right. when it's oh, yeah, owned and operated cool. by, by the actual people doing the work. Yep. Um, so, so you, you have that experience, you're driving five hours back home <laughs> and I mean, <laughs> did you think like I've made a horrible mistake or did you think, okay, that was not what I want for. I have to look elsewhere or, or like, what was your. Yeah. And uh, actually before I had gone to this dungeon, I had uh, found a dominatrix again, uh, quite a distance away, but one of the closer ones that looked like she kind of spoke to me and I paid to have coffee. And made the long drive and sat around. Oh, this is, as you can imagine, this is how you make a good impression with a dominatrix. You're 20 minutes late. Um, so oh, 20 minutes late to my meeting. I roll in and go, hey, I know I was on the clock. I got 40 minutes. Totally fine. Sat around, had coffee with her and talked with her. And then our schedules just really didn't line up at all. And that's when I ended up going to this other place. I realized, okay. you know like you go just because you go to a one restaurant that has good reviews and you have a terrible meal it's not like you oh i'll never go to another restaurant again you go okay that was a bad yeah. restaurant okay i've sure. listened to a thousand masochasts i've heard the thing that i didn't i didn't expect the level uh, in so many of the interviews i've heard with you and other interviews with different dominatrixes I'm flabbergasted by the intelligence and intellectual nature of the people that are dominatrixes. I think that's what's floored me more than anything else. I didn't expect a bun bunch of dumb bimbos. I didn't expect, you know, hookers with a whip. I didn't expect all that. But I wasn't really expecting... Uh, PhDs, you know, I wasn't uh, really expecting people as deep, as thoughtful, as well-spoken, as articulate as the people I've run into and heard like that. That's really impressed me. It's an incredible, despite the, you know, regular media, TV, movie, stereotypical dominatrix. I obviously couldn't be more different. Um, sure. Uh, I'm so impressed with so many of those women. It's unbelievable. So, so you get home after that first time and you report back to the wife. Yeah. No, we sit around. She asked, you know, what had gone on. <laughs> I told her what, a, what another train wreck it was and, uh, you know, started poking around looking for, you know, uh, other options and eventually found someone else, another epic drive away that, uh, that had uh, a large amount of experience. She worked just for herself and um, decided to go down. It was like maybe a month after the first train wreck, went down and saw her and it was a, you know, 
dramatically, diametrically opposite experience in the first one. Much, much better. Great person, highly skilled. Um, uh, you know, again, for me, I, I don't, I think the thing that's hard for me in a transactional relationship is on your first visit, it's not a relationship. And there's probably a little bit on the part of the Dom that uh, a lot of money going out here. I want to make sure this person enjoys themselves. Hopefully, you know, I'm going to enjoy myself too, but it's not really speaking to the, what I'm really looking for as really feeling submission to the person, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. the play is fun. Um, and it's not, uh, topping from the bottom because within their agreed on parameters, I'm not really in control. I mean, I got a safe word, but I'm not really in control of what's going on and things like that. But it's still in number two, the whole session was much better. Um, and again, with, uh, her and then number three, who was about another month later, you know, maybe if I saw him four or five times, you develop a relationship and you get a different sense of who that person is. But in the uh, the four different pros that I've seen, um, the first one, obviously a train wreck. The next three have been been great experiences. I haven't ever really experienced um the feeling towards them that I had fleetingly felt with those five women, four or five women I just encountered in my life where it's like, Oh, that's a sensible person I could follow because quite the opposite. I'm usually the sensible guy with a strong back and the strong mind that people are kind of naturally drawn to following me. And there's not a lot of people that I feel that, uh, uh, women that I feel like following again, I think the more that I could develop an ongoing relationship, the more that might change. And I express that um, maybe after the second or third with um, with my wife. And I said, honestly, I think maybe the only thing I'm where I'm going to find this is in the lifestyle. OK. And we kind of talked about that. And that is not something that she has uh, yet to this day felt comfortable with. I think she sees like, at least, you know, it's transactional. It's a business. This is a pro. You go into a lifestyle and she's just more concerned that there could be some sort of emotional connection, uh, longer term damaging emotional connection with a lifestyle person. And I have no experience in the lifestyle. Like I said, I've never been to a a munch or any public event or anything like that. So I don't know. But to this point, she's not comfortable with me exploring in the lifestyle world. And of course, in our very rural location, like uh, like the host of the show, there's not a whole lot of options, you know, lifestyle-wise without making those epic drives. Right. So have you, have you discussed, uh, like, um, what if it was, uh, you know, if there were boundaries on the type of the relationship or, or, or the activities done or anything like that? Like um... the, one, the one thing that the one thing that surprised her and really kind of bummed her out was when I told her in one of the sessions that I had ended up um, having an orgasm. And that really floored her. She was I felt terrible. 
I was kind of surprised a little bit that when I'm going to see these pros to do a lot of things that she and I had done together. I mean, I mean, if I was to sit here and make a list and publish it, people would go, God, you guys are kinky as hell. You did this and that and that. I think I'm kinky, but I've only done this compared with some people right. who are vanilla. But you know, not my first rodeo in a lot of different respects to different kink activities. And I'm like, well, didn't you see that we were doing those during kind of intimate times and it was arousing? And why are you surprised that when I see a pro to do these same things, but she hadn't got that or maybe she didn't want to get that, you know, maybe she had compartmentalized uh, sort of sexual nature and just said, well, it's about being tied up. It's not about, um, it's not about sex. So, you know, that led to more big conversations. And I said, just that I said, yeah, you know, we've done, I haven't done very much stuff with a pro dom that I haven't done with, with you. And it was always arousing with you. And so I think the third one, um, it's been an interesting journey. I suggested, hey, w- before I see this third one, why don't you get together and have a have a cup of coffee with her? And she goes, yeah, I'd like to do that. So she made the long drive and sat down for um, like an hour, two hours and had tea with this dominatrix who is very warm, very just a wonderful, wonderful person. Took her back to her dungeon space and let her check out some different stuff in the dungeon and ask questions and stuff. So when I, when I got to her and she was the third one, she's like, well, you aren't having an orgasm today. I mean, so that was a sure. little roller coaster kind of in the middle of it. You know, I, and I think I can understand because you know, if you say, if you tell someone, oh, that there's no sex involved, and then someone's idea of what sex is 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 very, you know, you could. I, I think I can understand why she would be surprised, right? Um, yeah. Um, also, like you said, maybe it's because she would she would say, like, okay, there's no sex involved, so that means these are the types of things that aren't going to happen, right? Um, but holy crap! Kudos to her for driving and in, in, in having a two-hour, you know, conversation with this person. That's that's really amazing. You know, that's a lot of people would not do that. You know, like I said, she's she's unbelievable. Uh, just the the everything about her is just unbelievable. And again, it's one of the most difficult parts for me is I know it's difficult for her, and that just kills me. It is just yeah. it, it just kills me. I mean, there are, there are, uh, and I've had these, I've had rewarding DS relationships with people that I did not have direct sexual contact with. And by sexual, I mean, you know, uh, there was, there was no orgasm involved. There was no, you know, very rarely was there even, you know, uh, you know, nudity involved. Right. Um, I mean, that is definitely something that, and it surprised me that, that I was able to have some, because before I had experienced that. I'd always associated, um, always associate, even though I've, 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 I am very much, you know, uh, uh, service oriented, I had still, um, associated kink and, and my kink with direct with sexuality, like direct sexuality of some yeah. sort. Right. Um, so that it is definitely possible to have a rewarding DS, you know, relationship with someone that does not involve direct, you know, sexual interactions. Yeah. Um, 
No, I totally, I totally agree. I totally understand that. And I would, I would be, you know, happy with sort of the same thing that there's things that, uh, a guest on your podcast said it very well. I don't know if she's, if they said it on your podcast, the, the difference between a pleaser and a submissive is you can have people that are pleasers. They like to do things for other people, and that's just who they are. But the day a pleaser decides he doesn't want to do something, that I mean, that's the end of it, okay? Where a submissive understands that this isn't something I want to do, but this is something I have to do, so... I'm okay with doing it, even though I might not be okay with doing it. Does that make sense? So it is something even people who are kinky and in the kink scene have a tough time getting their head wrapped around, you know? Yeah. Service-oriented is, is very difficult for a lot of people to understand because, like, they can understand a fetish or they can understand why someone has a kink for a specific thing. Um, but the selflessness thing is very difficult to wrap one's head around sometimes. Yeah. And, you know, anybody, uh, I would say anybody that was around me and observed me in just how I am for a year straight, and they had any inkling of kink or they wanted to categorize me, would just see my sort of nature. And um, I, 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 uh, work with uh i donate a lot of my business skill to nonprofits. you know i try and tip like mad i always try and say please and thank you um i'm out in a supermarket and some little kid drops his toy out of the cart like like I'll fall over myself trying to run over and pick it up and hand it back to the the mother or the father or something like that. I'm just I just uh, really comfortable and really enjoy doing things for other people. Um, so it, it you know coming where I was coming from, why is this this huge leap to see that I'm this way when I think it's so apparent? But you know we all kind of view each other through different lenses and stuff. And obviously the way I am is very apparent to me because it's me, but, you know, especially after decades together, my wife's used to looking at me sort of a different way and doesn't see those same acts have the same meaning to mm-hmm. have a different meaning to me than they do to her. You know, then, they, right. you know, then there's that stealth submission where, you know, um, I'm sure there was a time off and on multiple times over the years when, you know, I was doing a lot more of uh, just sort of trying to do all the potential chores and things I could to try to satisfy that um, service in me without having it above the board. You know, when I was in vanilla relationships beforehand, um uh, you know, and I probably didn't realize that that's what I was doing, but uh, I was definitely doing that, right? That I was like, uh, uh, I was definitely very attentive, as you know, people would say, "Oh, yeah, he's very, int- he's very attentive," yeah. you know. And yeah. I didn't even realize why I was doing it. Um, so now you are in a situation where you're thinking the lifestyle is where you're going to have to find what you're looking for. Um, no, I've evolved into a really interesting spot lately. Uh, one of the last conversations I had with my wife, because um, I I saw pro dom number four, 
I had never had, again, growing up in the country, pretty rough and life, a pretty rough and tumble lifestyle. Injuries are pretty common. Um, active sporting life. Um, I had never really had an association between pain and arousal. And I, it was something I wanted to explore. And the third dominatrix I saw explored some impact play, which I had never done. And, um, you know, other than kind of a teasing, I would call it a teasing home level, you know, with the, uh, the uh, candy leather homemade floggers <laughs> and things sure. like that, right. you know? Right. Um, so just sort of more the teasing level, not the high impact level. And I explored that. I'd been flogged and I really enjoyed that. For me, it was almost therapeutic. You know, give me something with some really big, heavy falls and slam me in the shoulders. It's like, wow, that's like percussion massage. I really like that. So right. buddy stuff was awesome. But I want to try the, sing the stingy stuff. And I tried the stingy stuff. And it was just how I thought because of my sort of <laughs> glamorous injury history. I'm pretty good at managing pain and discomfort. And that's what I just did. It just was like nowhere, just flatlined the whole thing for me and didn't really get much out of it. So then I saw the fourth dominatrix. And then I got thinking about that whole impact thing and said to myself, I'd like to run that up to up the flagpole again, but I'm going to approach it differently. I'm going to try and just be in a different mindset and be more receptive to it, more open to it, maybe more uh, reactionary to it and not just deal with it. Like I just slam my hand, you know, in a car door and I just have to kind of right. suck it up and deal with it. And I said to my wife that I'd like to go uh, to see the fourth dominatrix that I had seen. I'd like to go and see her for the second time in, re-examine impact play and she's like uh and i just kind of dropped it in a text we we're having a text uh conversation i just dropped it in a text and it was kind of like you know you know farting in a church all of a sudden no oh, kind of quiet and she goes well, oh, we talk about it and because i'm like sure and so because of some of the uh dynamics we couldn't talk about it for about five days and it just got me in this headspace that at this point, after a year of really having this out in the open and talking about it and me seeing these other dominatrixes and I don't mind, she wants to know what goes on in the sessions and I don't mind telling her at all, very open with what's happening and stuff. And I'm like, after all that, we got to have a talk before I go back and let someone crack me with a single tail. And I'm just like, fuck it. I, I like, I can't do this anymore. And it's, it's just kind of too mentally for me, it got to the point where it's just really mentally and, and uh, emotionally exhausting to kind of keep, you know, batting this ball back and forth and having these conversations. And after all the conversations we've had that she's still, you know, uncomfortable to a certain degree. And so I, you know, next time we talked about five days later, I said, she goes, did you want to talk about seeing this uh, pro again? I go, nope, don't want to talk about it anymore. Matter of fact, I'm going to compartmentalize this whole submissive thing where it's been for years. 
and tuck it away. And I think you and I'll just go back to the life that we've had before any of this came out because it's just too tiring for me to deal with. And it's clearly difficult for you to deal with and stuff like that. So, and of course, the reaction was, of course, expected, oh, no, 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 you should go see her. No, this is not good. You shouldn't do that and stuff like that. You go see her. It's totally okay. You know, it would have been the ultimate reverse psychology ploy if that had been my goal to get permission when she didn't want to give me permission. But that wasn't my goal. Um, What I told her was the absolute truth is that I'm just mentally and physically exhausted right now and I can't really deal with it and I just really need to tuck it away. And if she wants to bring it up, if she wants to talk about it, fine, total open book. If you wanted to get together and do a couple session, I'm totally fine. Everything's still, you know, free and open. But right now I'm just so, you know, sort of exhausted that it it's the lesser of two evils. It's not healthy for me. It's not good for me to do, but also, again, it's the lesser of two evils. Right now, it's easier for me to not deal with it than it is to deal with it. In my experience, I empathize with the other person because uh, from my perspective, I've been dealing with this for years and years in my brain, right? So, so talking about it more is like, no, I've talked about this with myself so much. I'm tired of the conversation, but from them, of course, from their perspective, this is all brand new, right? Um, so you could totally understand, I, you know, you could totally emphasize and understand where both are coming from in this situation. You know, I'm, I'm impressed first of all, that she let you go see a few pro doms in the first place. That's, that's just astounding right i mean that's that's really astounding especially you know after being in a relationship for that long i mean that's a testament to how strong your relationship is right i mean i would think you know um uh, and as as you've already said um and as far as you know and i've also been in the situation where you're like fuck you know i just don't want to do anymore i don't want to um um you know, for me, it was like, okay, I'm just, I just, I have to be vanilla for, uh, you know, a, a year or two or something, you know, I just, I can't, you know, just because it was so difficult to to deal with the frustrations that went along with it, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, another thing that kind of rears its ugly head with me a little bit is, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a bunch older than you. Um, I'm really lucky to have great genes and I've had a very athletic lifestyle and I still work out and train a lot and probably have an enviable level of health and fitness compared with a lot of people my age. But like I'm on the downhill slide and I'm near the, I'm near the bottom of the downhill slide. Um, I only really have life is so fickle. I'm very fatalistic where, you know, drive on a secondary road and you are five feet away from a closing speed of a hundred miles an hour with a car next to you. A moment right. inattentive glancing at a text or a cell phone or a, a baby that's dropped its bottle out of the seat or something like that. And you're dead. And I don't right. dwell on that kind of stuff, but I am very kind of fatalistic that, you know, I could be dead tomorrow. Don't want to be melodramatic, but it's a reality. 5,000 people sure. a day wake up or a, a day don't wake up in this country. And most of them yeah. are expected to wake up, so to speak, tomorrow. So, you know, for me, the, the clock's ticking a little bit more that I, you know, I, 
in one sense, I'd like to experience this and find something that speaks to that nature in me. Uh, but on the other hand, I think that the hardest thing for me to get over, and I don't know how I would, maybe I got to go back into therapy, is if my wife says, no, I'm okay with it, to go, okay, she's okay with it, I'm going to do it. Because right now, deep down inside, I know that when she says I'm okay with it, it's probably like 60 to 80% okay with it. And there's 20 to 40% that she's kind of struggling with. And maybe I just need to learn that it's okay if she has that struggle. It's normal, it's natural, and I have to trust her when she says it's okay. But again, the service side of me is like totally. the last thing I want to do in my life is hurt someone I love. Sure. Have you discussed, uh, and, and I'm, and I know how frustrating it is when, um, when someone asks a question that you've already answered ages ago. So <laughs> I apologize if this is, have, have you discussed, um, uh, exploring it together? Like going to a kink event together just to watch or something like that together? Because of our location, it, you know, it would be an epic thing. And because of our individual jobs, uh, which are very different, but they both have a fairly high level of tied down responsibility that makes uh, travel together almost impossible and travel alone right. incredibly difficult. Okay. Right. Just that's, that's the nature of our two jobs. The fact that the, the thought that, oh yeah, we're just going to bop away five or six hours to a large urban area in the United States. And we'll, we'll right. drive there on Friday and, you know, we'll spend the night and we'll go to this event on um, Saturday and spend the night. And we'll drive home on Sunday. <laughs> it's like, totally. Yeah, let me just totally. put a rocket and we'll go to the moon next week too. You know, <laughs> just really, yeah, totally that, that's really difficult. And I'm not sure in her journey right now, she's at a point where she'd be comfortable with that. And it might not be something she'll ever be comfortable. It's maybe that's, you know, not her deal. It's not off the table. You know, if she said, hey, why don't we do this together? And I'm trying to remember if we ever talked about, uh, I think I said um, she could go and sit and watch a session, you know, um, and the most she wanted to do was maybe go and be in the building. She didn't want to see the session, which is, you know, pretty right. crazily under easily understandable. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. You know, there, I think there's there's a lot of other different options, and you know, people hearing this uh, podcast um, would be going, "Oh, that guy's an idiot. You just need to do this, or why didn't you do this, or how come he didn't think of this option?" And I was actually called out by that person that I spoke to that was on your podcast, they said, well, you know, Mr. Introspective, you, you know, you think you're so smart and have everything thought out, but you make all these like gross errors all the time. And I'm like, you know, I, I'm not perfect. I'm just doing the best I can. And I'm trying right. to be a little more thoughtful and or as thoughtful and introspective as I can. It, and I think I'm doing a decent job. It doesn't mean I'm infallible. It doesn't mean I'm going to be making mistakes. This person that I was talking to, they've been in the, you know, they've been sort of in the whole lifestyle thing for like decades, you know? Right. I've been having kinky sex for... <laughs> 
decades and decades, <laughs> but this whole sort of can of worms exploration, DS, submissive, what are you and all this, that is more new to me. And I'm just, I, yeah. like, I'm just doing the best I can. Yeah. And, and the thing is too, is that like, cause um, whether it's kink, whether it's ethical non-monogamy, whether it's whatever, you're always going to get advice and suggestions from people who, um, you know, quite often that they mean well, right? Yeah. Um, but also it's impossible to know someone's specific situation, right? It's an impossible to, you know, all, all one can do is generalize, right? Um, because it, I mean, I, I, personally, I'm just, the fact that you told your wife about this is more than most people ever do, right? Because there's most people either uh, cheat or they just keep it bottled up and never explore it, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I've met numerous people who um, only started exploring whatever it was, ethical, you know, swinging, kink, or whatever. They only started exploring it either because A, their partner passed away, B, their mm. partner, you know, they got a divorce or something like that, um, or because they were actually, you know, their partner had no idea, you know? Um, so you I mean it was pretty ethical how you did it, which is more than what most people do. The fact that you did it is I mean it took tons of guts. I mean what's what's interesting is the first uh uh woman that I had coffee with, I've never seen, okay? Our schedules just didn't work out. That mm -hmm. ability uh that could potentially happen in April, you know, doing our schedules being different. And honestly, of the four women that I've sessioned with this fifth woman to me held that space the way I was looking for just over coffee um, in a way that kind of spoke to me more than the others have. So, you know, I, I don't think all the nails are in the coffin here. Um, mm -hmm. I did need to, uh, to take a bit of a break and kind of regroup because yeah, you know, it's the same thing. We think about it for years and decades and all that. And then all of a sudden it's surprise, <laughs> look, what, look right. what's in this box I brought you and we're opening tonight. And it's like, <laughs> holy hell. So, right. um, it is, it is, uh, you know, we definitely, uh, uh, are on the same. Is, is it possible that the, that the reason why you felt that way is because you had coffee before? first before anything else no because i've actually done that with uh another okay. one of them uh right, one, one right. of the dominatrixes i've seen with um did the paid coffee routine and uh, we met and had coffee for you know and i'm very cognizant i'm paying for their time i understand they're yeah. professionals i understand that the epic amount of garbage and time westers and crap they have to put up with is just it, like a boggles the mind and I'm only making assumptions of how bad it must be. Yeah, and I'm just yeah. watching my watch going, Hey, Hey, you know, we're, we only got five minutes and she's like, no, don't worry about it. So maybe she was actually enjoying talking to me and hearing a little bit, but that definitely ran over my paid time. And, but I just didn't feel quite the same way around her. Um, I've just, you know, at my age and, and the work I do, I've been around a lot of people in my life and uh, I have no idea what my IQ is. I've been told I have a fairly high emotional IQ. I'm pretty good at reading people and empathizing with people and understanding people. So I kind of trust the reads I get. Um, the 
other than the first experience. The other three I've seen, I mean, they've been great in their own respects. Um, they, they've been they've been warm. They've been wonderful people. Um, and did you know the sessions? The sessions were were great. I just you know um, even speaking with the uh, our kink therapist when I was talking with her, she goes, you know you're going to have a really hard time finding someone out there just on the planet earth that you're going to feel submissive to. It's just, you know, I've been talking to you now for a few months and you just aren't that I'm submissive to all women kind of guy, you know, you're just looking for yeah. a very, very specific person. And that example about holding the space. So it seems to make sense for me to follow you for me to find that is very, very rare. I mean, I, I, and I can, I can totally understand too the, um, not being able to be submissive to just anyone. And I think part of that comes from, um, like the people who I know who can do that, um, they're sort of putting their mental projection onto the other person that they imagine, right. As opposed to the real person. Does uh, that make right, sense? Right. Yeah. Uh, so, so like, and it's a skill that, that works for some people and that's, and it can be healthy and it can be unhealthy depending on how it's done. Right. So I, you know, I know people who, who can do that. They can be submissive to the person they choose by simply just deciding, okay, this is the person I'm going to be submissive to, but I'm totally with you in this. I can't, I have to, I actually have to feel, you know, in my case, I have to feel respect for the person. They have to, uh, you know, uh, even align politically with me, you know, yeah. like, uh, so it's, it's, it's like, uh, <laughs> it, it was just something that I just had to, uh, you know, but I was, I mean, I got, I, I'm well aware how, how incredibly lucky I am, uh, for my, my situation that I just totally fell over, you know, fell into, um, that I'm very, very lucky about, but yeah, I mean, I do wish you luck and I hope you stay in touch and, uh, you know, um, and, uh, you know, definitely say hi to your wife for me because kudos to her. I mean, that's pretty, it's pretty fucking impressive. I mean, I think both of you are pretty impressive in this, in this story. Well, thank Thank you very much. And, you know, um, uh, you mentioned a while back because I've tried to recently compartmentalize it. Is this more difficult? Uh, it, it's not. I'm like, it's great to be on uh, your podcast. I'm a big fan. I really appreciate it. And for me, just talking about stuff or writing stuff is just very helpful. It helps me think more clearly about what I want to say, what I want to do, and where I'm coming from. So not counterproductive, just this conversation with you has been helpful to me and just been really enjoyable. I mean, you're, you're, you're a great interviewer. You ask great questions. <laughs>